0: Uh, happy mid July to everyone. Trust uh, your summer is moving along well. Um, we are on the verge of switching Sunday school series. Next week, Grant will pick back up with Amos. So, uh, say it again Romans, okay. Romans. All right. That sounds great. So, thank you, Grant. But you are teaching, correct? Okay, I want to make sure I at least had the teacher right. All right, we are going to look at one of God's attributes today. As you know, I've tried to go through two a week. I had a very, um, shall we say, ambitious goal of knocking out three at the very start. You might remember that. That was a little too ambitious. Uh, and now at the very end, we're down to one a week. So uh, this, is, this is fine. And hopefully, it is profitable for us to be doing it at this pace. So, we'll be looking at God is love today. And as we just reflect on what we've been through here the last several weeks, first of all, we started our Theology 101 with a look at bibliology uh, when that took us several weeks. And we've gone through several of God's attributes, again, kind of a high level overview. Uh, My goal has been to define it, give us a working definition, uh, take a look and ask, is this an attribute that we can share in? Is it communicable or incommunicable? We look at proof texts, which to me is very important as we develop a biblical worldview. And then we will go through and look at those texts and then maybe look at one of the issues that might arise, a common issue that might arise, sometimes an issue we hear about in the world. Other times, as we've seen, these are issues that can arise even within The faith, all right, some issues that have challenged some of these ideas of God's attributes, even within the faith system. Uh, So we've worked our way all the way started with God exists eternally, and now we will check off, uh, assuming I live through this lesson, God is love uh, today. And then we'll pick back up uh, next spring, Lord willing, and we'll get into God is good and hopefully by, uh, I don't know, I, I'm going to try to stay on the pace of two a week, we'll see how that goes, uh, but maybe by the middle of the next series we'll we'll get through God's attributes, but they are worthy to be studied, and so I'm, I'm enjoying this time. All right, this is uh, Nick Abbott's favorite time, which is review from the previous week, so uh, Nick, feel free to share as you are led with these answers. What? What attribute of God did we discuss last week, for those of you who were here or maybe listened online? There's only one. Yes, truthfulness. That's right. God is truthful. What were some of the early understandings of our word truth in the ancient languages? So I'm not looking for those ancient words, but as we look at these ancient words and understand how the people of that time understood those correlations to this idea of truth, what were some of those other underlying ideas that we talked about last week? Jennifer. Faithful. Faithful, okay. All right, good. Others? Busy week of VBS, right? So how about this? Unconcealed revealed essence, uh, firmness, stability, veracity, reality, real facts. And again, these English words come from some of the ancient languages as we translate their original words from truth and this helps us understand what do we mean when we say truth? Okay, how about this question? What passage in the New Testament underscores God's truth should always be considered truth, even if it means all humanity lies? Anybody remember this passage? I'll I'll quote it. Let God be true, even though every man lie. Does that help? Oh, Numbers 23.19, that is one of the other passages. It says something very similar, yes. Uh, this one was from the New Testament, though, Romans 3.4. Uh, what three gifts have we received from God that all have this strong identification and connection to truth? So these things have all proceeded from God to us, and they identify... As truth. Bible? Yes, Bible, that's one of them. What else? Holy Spirit, Holy spirit? yep, two for two, good. And one other? Jesus. Jesus, all right. So, Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes in John, and then the Word of God, uh, which, of course, is our, uh, our access to truth, right? God's truth to us in written form. Okay, here's a bonus question. What gospel really highlights truth? I don't think we came right out and said it last week, but if you notice maybe the pattern of the different references and the, some of the proof texts, there is one gospel, at least to me, that stands out as very focused on truth. Anybody figure that one out? John. Yes, exactly. Uh, let's see. What any any specific passages people can quote from John that talk about truth? Jennifer. All right, good. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What else? John 3.16, which we'll get to today, when we talk about God is love. John 4.24 is one of them. John 8 talks about, um, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Uh, One of them that I quoted earlier, I believe it's in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes. And then... Remember we looked at that conversation between Jesus Christ and Pilate. That's also in John 18. And Pilate says, what is truth? So maybe this is a good reason why. I know some of you, maybe when you've introduced others to the Lord, and they say, well, where should I go to start learning? I know a common place to send people is the book of John. And maybe that is a good idea because of the focus on truth there in a world that I believe still craves truth. Okay, so we get into today, God is love, and what a great attribute to end this current session on. I think this is maybe one of the most misunderstood attributes of God, but certainly one we relish in as believers. We could perhaps define it this way, God eternally gives of himself for the good of others, now, is this attribute communicable? Can it be shared with us, or is it only an attribute of God, incommunicable? That's right. It is communicable. So we can share in this idea of love. And I thought it would be helpful to go through and look at the Greek language here. Uh, the Greek language has done a nice job of identifying four terms, all connected to some form of love and it'll help us separate out and then identify and focus in on God's form of love. Uh, how many of you have ever come across the four different Greek words uh, related to love? Okay, all right, a handful. So this will be a good exercise, I think, as we, as we look at this and perhaps remind ourselves of this. The first form of uh, love in the Greek language is this idea of eros which is sensual or romantic love as created for the marriage relationship. The second Greek word, or you, you might see a combination here, philea or phileo, is brotherly love as seen in a close friendship. So you think about people who may have been through similar experiences. You might think about a best friend. There's a bond. There's a... Kindred spirit. It's the idea behind phileo. And there's this third Greek word, storge, which is a familial love as seen in this instinctual parental love for children, or almost this wonderful love that grandkids might have for their grandparents. All right, that's the idea of storge. And as nice as all three of these are, there's actually a higher form of love, which is God's form of love, and that is called agape. You might define it this way, God's love as a transcendent form of love evidenced by sacrifice, regardless of benefit received, and not driven by emotion. So... Think about that for a moment as we dive into some of these passages that we're going to look at here in God's Word and recognize the wonderful difference between God's agape love and these other three forms. Again, they are great. They have their benefits for sure, but God's agape love is the transcendent form of love. Uh, I like this quote from Got Questions. that says, The essence of agape love is goodwill, benevolence, and willful delight in the object of love. So let's head in the Word of God. If you would all take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4 with me. And maybe as we introduce this attribute today, your mind went right here to 1 John 4. 8. Uh, but we're going to take a look at the context here in 1 John 4. Look at verses 7 through 11. First, John, great book when it relates to love. There are even more passages in the previous chapter, chapter three, but we're going to park here in chapter four for now. And isn't it interesting? We, we talked about the Gospel of John being focused on truth, and we know that John was the beloved disciple, one of the inner circle of Jesus and he's also the one that really unfolds this idea of God being love and how that love impacts us here in 1 John. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. There's the origin. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So as we look at this passage, uh, several things come to light. We see the source of this love. We see that only those who know God can identify and practice in this true high form of agape love. And we also see what I believe was the highest expression of God's love mentioned here, and that was the giving of Jesus Christ, his son. Let's turn back now to 1 Corinthians 13. This is maybe another passage that came to mind when you saw the attribute we were going to be talking about today. Oftentimes, this is called the love chapter. And this, of course, is written by Paul. And we're going to take a look at uh, verses 4 through 8a and then uh, hop over to verse 13. So 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. And take a look at these attributes of this agape love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Verse thirteen. So now faith, hope, and love abide; these three, but the greatest of these is love. So why, I will ask you, why do you think Paul captures these three great characteristics and says the greatest of hope and love is love? Good, good, it, it will be eternal. Uh, Michael, is that what you were going to say as well? Okay, this will be eternal, right? I mean, you look at these other two uh, great traits, faith, this is something we are living at this point, hope, this earnest expectation, and once we are united with Christ, there will be not the need for this, will there? We will not need the faith nor the hope, but love will Last eternally. Good. So I I thought it would be helpful as we think about God's love to ponder four questions today. First question is How has God shown us his love? And we've already seen a reference to this in 1 John chapter 4, uh, but let's go through some very familiar passages here, at least to start. First of all, because of Jesus Christ, his son, who was a sacrifice to to help us gain salvation. God so loved the world. There, there it is right there. Maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible. And it explains, really, what God did in that he gave his only begotten son. And it says, anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have and gain eternal life. Romans 5.8, another very familiar verse. Same idea of what God has shown us with his love. He has shown us he will sacrifice to give us salvation. And in this verse in Romans, God showed his love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Also, adoption. If you go back from our original proof text we looked at in 1 John 4, you go back one chapter to 1 John 3, it says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Well, This one may not be as fun, but this is certainly part of God's love. Uh, it says in Hebrews 12, 6a, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And what is the common theme here as we look at this agape love of God? Where, 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 where's the focus in these verses? Where's the attention going from God? Say it again. Well, he will be glorified in himself. Absolutely right. But it's actually to the object of his love, which in this case is us. We are the ones benefiting. And yes, even with discipline. Uh, those of you who are parents can appreciate this idea of discipline, right? I mean, if you don't really care how your kid turns out, you're probably not going to invest the time to keep the kid in line. So the Lord, because he loves us, is going to take the time to discipline as needed. That's the point of Hebrews 12, 6. Next question. What is the scope of God's love? If God is love, and he is, how do we understand the scope of that? It's kind of tough to do, but... We know a few things about God that will help us here. Well, Paul writes in Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I would say the first answer to what is the scope of God's love is it it is inseparable. We cannot be separated from it. And that is a blessing. That is encouraging. Even the great forces that we've talked about in a recent lesson from Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there are some powerful forces in the heavenlies that we are battling against. Not even they can separate us from the love of God. And if you took the time to go to Psalm 136, this is a really interesting psalm. I can't remember exactly how many verses are in it, but I was looking at it, and at the end of each verse, it ends with this, for his steadfast love endures forever. And there are 20 to 30 verses, as I recall. Every verse ends with that phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever. So when we're thinking about the scope of God's love, I think we have to say it's eternal. There's no end to it. Not only is it inseparable, there's no end to it. Next question, what does this God of love expect from us when it comes to love? All right, well, there's part of it being communicable, right? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Deuteronomy 6, 5 have a very similar message. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind or in Uh, One of the other passages, it says strength. So Christ quoting there in Matthew 22, referring back to Deuteronomy, he tells us one of the expectations God has is for us to then reciprocate that love and love God. And, And we see this in the New Testament too, right? We love him because he loved us. John 13, verses 34 through 35 A new commandment, again, this is Christ talking, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So God not only expects us to have this love to him, but then he says this should be true of your relationships with all around you, one another all right? And I do believe there is a specific focus of people here, but, and that is those other believers, because it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So when they see that love amongst fellow believers, they're going to recognize, oh, there's something different. There's something good. There's something unique about what's going on with the love we see between believers. Oh, but then it expands. (laughs) And I think, uh, if I remember right, Tanner, you mentioned this a few weeks ago as we were thinking about some of the, the wisdom of the world versus what God's wisdom is. Matthew 5.44, Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, expands this love that we are to then reciprocate, not just to God, not just to each other as believers, but then to our enemies. This is where it really, the rubber hits the road, as it were. Do we love our enemies? And this is, this is a challenge Uh, But this is agape love. Remember, the focus of agape love is on others. It's not an emotion. It's not what's in it for me. This is I I have a genuine care and concern, and I want to bestow goodness upon that object, whoever that object is. Well, you might say, as I did as I'm working my way through this, how can we do this when we are not God? How can we have this agape love? Because it's easy for me, if if somebody burns me, to want to think about how can I burn that person versus how can I love that person, all right? And we need the, the help of the Holy Spirit is what it boils down to. In Romans 5, we get the answer, we get the understanding, we get how do we have this ability answered in this verse. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit, as is the case uh, from the starting point of salvation, the Holy Spirit at work within us, uh, changing us and helping us. And he's got God's love uh, available, accessible uh, within our hearts. Okay, so how do we then think about this idea of God is love in our world today? I want you to just take a moment and think when you hear about love in the world today, and as we went through and just looked at agape love, there are a brief overview. These are some different ideas, aren't they? They don't exactly match up very well. So let me ask you, if we think back to the four types of love that the Greek language helped us with, which type of love is the focus of our world today? What do you think about that? Eros, okay, is that, is that pretty well agreed upon? Eros might be the, the focus of the world today. Think about commercials, think about songs, you know, secular songs. I think that's, I think that's fair to say that Eros is the pre- prevailing love that our world is focused on today, Okay. So what differences then do you see in the world's understanding of love and God's agape love? So if I think there was a good consensus with Eros, as we think about Eros and what that love is all about, in God's agape love, how would you explain the difference to people? How can you maybe do a compare and contrast? I was thinking maybe it'd be good for me to write these down as I get input from you. Uh, but I know Eric one time tried to draw and that was, uh, that was not fun for him. So I didn't, I didn't want to partake in that. Fleeting. Say it again. Fleeting, it oh, good, good. Fleeting. So uh, the world's understanding of love, eros, that will pass. That's, that's exactly right. So maybe we could say it's temporary. Rochelle? Okay, good. Feelings versus decisions and actions. Wayne? I think it's much more self centered and <coughs> egotistic. Okay, so Eros, the Eros love dominating our world today is self centered and egotistic. Uh, yes, Tanner? I would say some conditions apply. Okay. So I'm ah. Based on either my feelings or your actions. Okay. So, Eros love is conditional depending on my feelings or, or your actions, okay? Yes, Grant? Yes, good. So Grant shared that the world is at a disadvantage in a sense because they do not have the love of God in their hearts, so it's nigh unto impossible for them to really experience and express agape love, but they can have form of uh, storge love and eros and phileo. That's that's exactly right. Yes, Flora? Okay, so uh, Flora shared that in the world, there seems to be a lack of discipline when it comes to love. Anything goes, uh, whereas true love, there's that element of discipline, as we saw in Hebrews 12, and then she also pointed to the fact that the Assyrians were used as a form in the Old Testament of God's discipline. Good. All right, any other comparing and contrasting as you, as you think about agape love versus eros? or any of these other loves? This is good. Okay, so the last question that you can see I've separated it from the other two that I'd really like us to consider today is um, maybe a little bit more of a a challenge to, to think about. And maybe you've had this question posed to you before by somebody So what I'd like us to think about now, uh, we we don't have to divide into our groups or anything, but please consider this because this may happen to you at some point in your life. How would you answer someone who asks you why or how God is love, especially after that person hears about the reality of hell? Gordy. Right, right. So, Gordy made the case that um, people, their reality, they they can't see hell, but oftentimes, as noted here, as we share the gospel and may share the consequence of if you don't put faith in Christ, what happens, but Gordy's saying they're going to experience some very difficult things in life, and they may be Poised to ask, how can God be a God of love if if I'm going through A, B, or C? It's really hard on me. Grant. So Grant said Satan is constantly at work, continuing to deceive. We talked last week about God being the God of truth. Of course, the opposite of that, Satan is the the father of lies, and he is out to do his work. His minions are out to do their work to prevent hearts from understanding this, this wonderful transcendent form of love called agape love. That's right. Michael? Yes, right. So Michael shared that it's easy for unbelievers, as we talk about God with them, to say, "Um, yeah, so the problem in my life is because of God, when in reality the problem is their sin is the cause, the root of their issues, which God has provided a remedy for, uh, I think is a way to summarize that. That's exactly right, Nick. Nick? Mm. God uses everything for the good of those who love him and are called his purpose. Yes, uh, Romans 8.28, Nick said, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And, it, I, and you're seeing, if you remember when I showed you that whole list of attributes, I could have tied in God is good with God is love today. And I was on the verge of doing that. But then once I got into God is love, I was just overwhelmed with the information. I said, I better not do that. He'll be here until 11 today. So, But yes, there is a strong connection there. Yes, Tanner? The, the thing I don't love about this question is it's actually two questions that are separate that are being smashed. One's safe and important and providing provided that section. And this really allows for people to have up and continue to smash the two questions. Okay, so Tanner is advising when we're dealing with a situation like that, we should break it down into help them understand that God is love, verify that with them in Scripture, and then maybe it's a separate conversation about some of the difficulties that, that come through. Um, I, I, and and that's, that's fair. I guess my question is, what in your life could you point to to say, I know God is love because of this? What would be your testimony? Yes, Cody. Amen, Cody. It's a great testimony. And uh, I I will not do justice to try to summarize it, but what what I heard as the main points is that you have absolutely felt God's love because you have said the life I've lived, what I've done, God has loved me enough. I've felt that love in my heart. I've seen it through relationships he's given me. He's there when I need him, even though the enemy is pressing hard and trying to get you to doubt. Right? Yeah, know, do you you Amen. <laughs> Amen. A testimony. That's, that's, that's exactly right. These are the answers that we ought to be thinking about as people ask us how do you know God is love? Grant? Right, so Grant echoed Tanner's point because we're talking in the case of dealing with unbelievers with folks who do not have that love. It's a foreign concept to them. And so they're at a disadvantage for sure. And Grant is saying it's best to go right to the gospel and let the gospel, with the help of the Holy Spirit, do its work. Right. Good. Any, any other thoughts about how you have experienced God's love? And you can share that as a testimony to those asking about the love of God. Dan it's easy for me to be judgmental
1: and you know, he's faithful and he's preparing all those things. it's
0: just easier to recognize things as another Yeah, so Dan, thank you uh for that testimony. And Dan shared it, certainly, there, you mentioned some of these other attributes of God, but maybe the, they're just almost offshoots of God's love. His long suffer- he is long-suffering. He is forbearing. He is patient, uh, working with us through these times. And, um, but I just love it when you, when you say at the end there, I've seen it so evidently this week, and I'm hoping we, we all can point to times in our lives where we can say, yeah, my God is a God of love. He, he is love. He's a source of love, and we can show that. I mean, it almost could be even to the point and maybe summarizing some of these testimonies that we've heard today that he's so loving that we're still alive talking to each other because he's a holy God and he could zap us like that. So he loves us. And so thank you uh, for those testimonies. We are at time here and I I, I do just want to, um, we've been able to actually do this here with some of your testimonies which I've so appreciated. Um, this is, this is a, a hymn called The Love of God, and I just love some of these words here. Um, verse 1, you can read it, likely, it talks about the extent of God's love. Where, where does it go? Referring likely to Adam and Eve, the guilty pair bowed down with care, God gave his son to win. His erring child, that would be those of us in this room who have now been reconciled, are pardoned from his sin, The chorus of love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore, there's the eternality of it, endure, the saints' and angels' song. And then if you go to the second part of verse 2, I I love the line here, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints' and angels' song. And then verse 3, even though... We may not have a specific answer, if we sat down and took the time to write out all the ways we've seen God's love manifested in our lives, uh, we could echo this. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. May we relish in the love of God. May we be able to point those around us to the love of God, recognizing that our God is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time, and we are just in awe as we dive into some of these attributes, even at such a shallow level. Um, Lord, it is mind-numbing to think how you are just a perfect balance of all of these attributes. And yet, as we consider love, to think if you were the opposite of that, what that would mean for us. It just brings fear. And, Lord, we thank you for the love you have showed to us, especially through uh, the sacrifice of your Son, Christ. We pray that we would model the love that you have perfectly modeled for us, as we live our lives on this earth. Help us to have an answer, Lord, as folks ask us questions, why we believe what we believe, especially, Lord, as some of these topics about who you are and your attributes come up. We pray for the time ahead with the service to follow. We pray for the message to be with Pastor as he shares what you have put on his heart, and for the, uh, the praise and worship service, we pray we would... Uh, worship you in spirit and in truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.